0: Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 219. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of What If episode 4. What if Doctor Strange lost his heart instead of his hands? Directed by Brian Andrews and written by A.C. Bradley, who is the head writer for the series. But before we discuss this episode in full spoilery detail, I want to let you know about Fan Show Plus, which is an exclusive premium podcast where we talk even more about the MCU and the business that surrounds the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Marvel Studios, and Disney, as well as occasionally some spoiler reviews for some non-MCU stuff that is of interest to many of us. On the next episode of Fan Show Plus, I will be covering the opening weekend box office for Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, which, as of this recording, things are going very well, and those estimates just keep going up and up and up so I'll be talking about those numbers, what it means for Marvel Studios movies going forward as far as exclusive theatrical windows versus premiere access on Disney+, Plus, as we saw with Black Widow earlier this year. That's going to be on Fan Show Plus. How can you access it? There are two ways. You can go to the MCU Fan Show channel on Apple Podcasts and subscribe, and you will receive Fan Show Plus. It is an exclusive separate podcast from MCU Fan Show over there. Or you can go to patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, or just hit the link in our show notes, and you can sign up for the Patreon, which will also give you access to fanshow plus if you choose a tier that includes fanshow plus so be sure to check that out and then make sure you're following us in all those places you can we are at mcu fanshow on instagram twitter and facebook and if you are enjoying the show we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on apple podcasts thanks so much to everyone who has already taken the time to do so and now on with our show How you doing, Paul Herman?
1: Well, I lost my voice, but it's coming back slowly. So, uh, but other than that, I'm doing well. It's been a, it's been quite a marvelous week. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So uh,
0: I have no idea what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, I have no idea. Um, Yeah, so it's, uh, it's awesome. I'm really excited to talk about many things amongst Mm -hmm. what we're going to talk about now. And, and this really quick, I can can I give a little recap of my opinion of the last episode of What If?
0: Absolutely. Please do. So episode three, uh, what if the world lost its mightiest heroes?
1: Yes. Um, quickly, I think it's a solid episode. Wasn't my favorite. Definitely. It's, it's, it was definitely my least favorite of the series so far. And that's not like a, a detriment in my opinion, but would
0: I be guessing was, correctly if I said you liked the Hank Pym stuff? Oh yeah, it was great.
1: Okay. It was great stuff. Well, I, I think that again, because it, it was a nod to like yellow jacket. Uh-huh. I thought that was interesting. That, that was cool. Um, it was unexpected. I didn't even see it coming. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a fun episode. It was a little, I felt it kind of meandered a little bit, I guess, even in the 30 minutes, but I thought it was a, you know, again, an interesting take that I didn't even think about. And I didn't think it was, you know, a bad thing by any means either. It was fine. And so I thought it was a, you know, again, another solid entry to the, the what if series, which I, I'm just loving what we're getting out of this series. So But yeah, this episode, I can't wait to talk about, though. And
0: I think that's just bound to happen with a show like this, because you have something that is. You just have different styles, and that's part of the beauty of what if is you get to tell different types of stories. And so some types of stories you may respond to in a more in a stronger, perhaps more positive way than others. And that's okay. No one has to Mm -hmm. like everything just as much as everybody else likes it or whatever things are going to vary. I certainly liked having the murder mystery aspect of things, but then again, everyone listening to this, or maybe not literally everyone, maybe not everyone heard the last episode, but people know my thoughts are available on uh, back in our feed for our episode three, uh, What If, spoiler review. This week, it's about episode four, and as you were mentioning, a marvelous week. It's a good problem to have when you host a Marvel podcast or a podcast that, you know, deals in Marvel and talks about the MCU all the time and you have two new entries in the same week as far as new MCU stories we had this not that long ago just a couple months back with Loki and Black Widow and here we are again with What If and the latest episode of What If episode 4 and then of course Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings and as I said good problem to have we're like oh man I gotta record Two podcasts yeah. this weekend and uh, two spoiler reviews this weekend. And as uh, mm-hmm. those of you who've been around for the better part of this year, uh, as you know, our spoiler reviews are not known for being brief. Uh, brevity has no. never been our strong suit, not in 10 years. Nope. Uh, so I don't think it's yes. going to happen anytime nope. soon. But nope. uh, without further ado, we will just move along into this episode four spoiler review. What if, uh, if Dr. Strange lost his heart instead of his hands. And before we get into the scene by scene breakdown that we love to do around here, just some quick overall impressions for me. this one is dark. Uh, this is yeah, uh, this is as bleak as it gets at least so far in what if and, and maybe this is as bleak as it's gonna get throughout mm-hmm. this entire season. But at the same time, it was a very, very good episode. I do have a couple of central issues that happen pretty much in the early going, within like the first third of the episode. So it won't take very long for you to be able to hear those, although we're talking about the first 10 minutes, so maybe about 40 minutes into this podcast. I don't know. We'll see how fast we move. But I do have a couple of issues, but at the same time... I mean, it it kind of puts the episode on a little bit of a shaky foundation for me, Mm. but I can ultimately forgive it because everything that happens after that first 10 minutes is so fascinating and so just pure comic book nerdy and Doctor Strange Mm. comic book nerdy that I had uh, so much fun with it despite it being like dark, twisted, uh, corrupt Doctor Strange fun. But there was a lot of it that felt like... Certain types of Doctor Strange storytelling that we haven't really seen as much of in the MCU, and maybe we'll get more of this in Multiverse of Madness. Uh, some of the horror nature of occult stuff, some of the scarier stuff for Doctor Strange, or some of the more twisted stuff that's out there. Um, and, and certainly, I, I found myself being very engaged in these last twenty minutes. And then the very end of this episode is so intense that. Uh, yeah. You know, I can't wait to talk about that part in detail. We will wait and go through the paces of this episode. But the ending of this episode is so well done. And also, I think, really provides... I mean, not a great foundation at the start of this episode, but the end of this episode, I think, is going to provide a pretty significant foundation, a pretty strong foundation for other episodes to come. I don't think we've seen the last of the, you know, the way things were left at the end of this one.
1: Yeah, I, I think this definitely sets up a lot of different things. And I'll say my biggest one, I think, for the end of this, the episode. But yeah, I, I love this episode. And to me, this embodied, again, what I love about the comic books and where it could really go bonkers. And I think showing us where Doctor Strange and the whole mystical side of what it can do is. And where you could go with it was done so br- brilliantly well in these 30 minutes or whatever it was, to you know condense so much into this episode. I've said it on the on the pod or on the on Twitter. I said I like this episode more than the movie, straight up. Like I I I have my I have a lot of issues with that Doctor Strange movie, and you know but I love Benedict Cumberbatch though, and. I just love how it embraces all the aspects of what I love about Doctor Strange and what that side of the Marvel universe has to offer. And so I think you got a, a good taste of what you could get, you know, a, a good meaty Doctor Strange movie, you know, or idea anyway. So, um yeah, I think this this episode like you said, Sean, maybe have some, some kinks in the armor as far as the story and the foundation of what, what it kind of goes from, but the result I think is always going to be what draws me in and draws you in, in the end for the most part. And I, I, I loved it. So yeah, I can't wait to break it down and kind of talk about the, you know, and a little bit of maybe the Rocky foundation. Yes. And also the, the things that we loved about it as well. Well,
0: I'll always take it. I mean, I would prefer that everything about an episode be great, but if we're going to have some flaws in an episode, I would much prefer it be in this order where there's a shaky start followed by a great finish as opposed to a great start that is ultimately a letdown because of the shaky finish. So it got to end this episode on a high note, which sounds weird because of how dark and intense this uh, the end of this episode is. I just mean dramatically, creatively ending it on a high note. And that was certainly, that left me very excited for next week. Not that next week would be an immediate follow-up to what's happening in this episode, but whenever we circle back to what's happening at the end of this one, I think it's going to be very, very compelling. But where we are right now at the very end of this episode was very, very compelling. So let's get into that start where things are a little shaky for me. So we know that there are choices that impact things, and really it's Stephen Strange's choices that make the worst out of this whole situation. But there's another choice that kicks off this story. If you go back to Doctor Strange in 2016, Stephen Strange invited Doctor Christine Palmer, as played by Rachel McAdams, who brings her voice to this, Benedict Cumberbatch, of course, voicing Stephen Strange. Stephen Strange invited... Christine Palmer to a speaking engagement that he was having that evening at a Neurological Society dinner. She declined the invitation. Stephen Strange went by himself, did some distracted uh, driving, ended up in an accident, messed up his hands, and off we went in that timeline. In this one, Christine Palmer instead chooses to accept Strange's invitation. She is going to attend the Neurological Society dinner with him, and they get in the car They do a little bit of flirting, maybe rekindling some of the romance they once had. They narrowly avoid an accident as Doctor Strange tries to go around a truck, and then all of a sudden they don't. They are struck from behind with a swerving vehicle, so probably a drunk driver, and then they get in the accident. Stephen Strange survives, relatively unharmed, physically anyway. Christine Palmer does not. She dies in the accident. And we are told that a grief-stricken Doctor Strange or Stephen Strange sought answers and ended up finding them in the mystic arts. Just the same, except the time stone was even more appealing to him when he discovered it in this version of events because he has something he would like to undo, like the death of Christine Palmer. And so now you could see that this is Doctor Strange totally getting where Kaecilius was coming from in that one where we know Kaecilius wasn't exactly a big fan of time and what it can take from you. Uh, But Stephen Strange still carried on with mostly the same adventure. He bargained with Dormammu, and then we catch up with Stephen Strange two years after the accident, and he wants to undo it instead of just sipping some tea with Wong. And and Wong, as we saw from the No Way Home trailer, very good at warning you against things and then just leaving uh, with no follow up to make sure you don't do the thing. Uh, that he told you not to do, although maybe we'll see he tries to do something in No Way Home. I don't know. But this initial choice of this is how Doctor Strange went on his journey, and this is ultimately going to be the journey where he goes delusional, and things go dark for him, and he makes a lot of bad, unethical choices. This is where it's a little shaky for me, or maybe even more than a little, because you're basing this whole story on a romance that I don't think was sold all that well in the first movie. I don't believe enough in the romance between Stephen Strange. And this is just my experience as a viewer of that movie. And I'm a bigger, much bigger fan, Paul, of that movie than you are. But the love story aspect of it is not really my favorite part of it. And it didn't really sell. I didn't really see that connection between the two of them, so much so that if Christine Palmer never shows up again in Stephen Strange's life in the MCU, I'm like, okay, fine. Um, I I get that there was a little something, right? Like the time will tell how much I love you that she had inscribed on the watch that he took a beating for to try and keep that. Okay, Um, so there was some love there, but I just don't think it was sold well enough in that movie for me to buy it as the basis for this story. And the little bit of flirting back and forth in the car ride doesn't really close that gap for me. So I just don't see this as strange. If the whole idea of this is, what if Stephen Strange lost his heart? I don't really see this as causing Stephen Strange to lose his heart. Now, thankfully, the episode points out that love isn't really what's driving Strange. He thinks it is, but it's not really love. Um, But I also still just don't even think he loved Christine enough to be... Not only do I not think he loved her enough to be motivated to do any of this, but to even think that that was his motivation for any of this. Mm. I don't really buy it. I don't really know that he would buy it either. But, of course... If you're listening to this and you're thinking, "Well, I totally bought it," then you're right about that. You did buy it. I just didn't. (laughs) Uh, So for me, it doesn't really work that well. But it's okay because things get better from here. I I do actually have, you know, another complaint coming up within the first third of this episode. But still, it's you know, not not the not the greatest start for me.
1: Okay, so I know obviously the next point you're going to say, and actually I agree with you more with the next one more than this one. And the only reason why it worked for me was because it's a different universe. I took it as when she accepts that offer. Sure. It only it confirms to Dr. Strange. Oh, he, she's, we still have something. Cause I think he's in this universe in every, it's not like everything's exactly the same in my opinion. And this is my own opinion of these. What if universes, they're not like everything's the same up until like that. One, only one point. I think it's more of like, that's where the, the big change happens. But I think there's a personality shift. There's a little, you know, there's, there's, there's a little subtle differences. And I took this whole thing of Dr. Strange. Once she shows up, it confirmed for him in his heart, like, Oh, I, I love this girl. And I thought it actually did a good job of them flirting more in that episode than they did ever in that movie showing their connection romantically, in my opinion. And so, um, for me, I bought into it immediately. I, I agree with you, though, Sean. You know, I'm not a big fan of the Doctor Strange movie as far as that love stuff in that, and it just was not a great. It wasn't constructed the best. In this episode, I, I bought into it. It just, it, I for some reason just, I don't know if it was just the way it was presented, but I, I bought into that idea that it, he would at least be. Oh my God! Like she does love me. She showed up, and and she wants to be a part of this with me. And that to me made a lot of sense. It actually makes a lot more sense if you look at, into the film that why he's driving even more recklessly if she doesn't accept it doesn't want to go with him. It maybe he's kind of pissed off and he's kind of just I'm the, I'm, a, I'm a, you know I'm, I don't need her. I'm Doctor Strange, kind of a thing. I don't know. It, it made it made sense to me. So and again, it, no one is right in this sense. It's you either buy it or you don't. I bought into it, so I was immediately, like, I was fine with that. So, I like that part a lot, actually.
0: Yeah, I think with the, uh, well, and, and look, this is where I'll give it some more credit than than I have in the, the past few minutes here, is that even if there wasn't much hope for the romantic love, I actually thought that was one of the aspects of the, I wouldn't even necessarily call it a love story, but just of that dynamic between these yeah, two characters yeah. in Doctor Strange, what worked about it is that they weren't like still in love with each other. There was love that they had as far as caring about one another, but there was never really a suggestion that this was going to become a relationship again. We heard that they had a past and and we know that there was some love there based on the inscription on the watch, but it wasn't necessarily something where you felt like these, either one of them, it wasn't Stephen Strange or Christine Palmer, it never really seemed like either one of them was really all that interested in getting back together and rekindling that romance. But romance aside, just because two people aren't going to be together doesn't necessarily mean they don't care about each other. And I do think that Stephen Strange cares about Christine Palmer. What I wish they had done a bit more, they kind of touch on this when the Stephen Stranges uh, confront one another, that the idea of their need to fix everything. And I thought that was a pretty strong point. I also thought maybe taking a bit more of an angle of of emphasizing the guilt that for Stephen Strange, it's not just about wanting to save Christine for Christine's sake, because she's dead and gone. He's also trying to save her for his own sake and not feel so bad about the accident that happened if he believes any of it was his fault, or even if the accident wasn't his fault, His inability to save her is somehow his fault by not being good enough, not being smart enough, not being able to master the mystic arts in such a way that he would be able to solve this problem. And the reason he can't solve this problem is because of something new that we're learning about this week, and that is an absolute point in time. So what is that? Well, we discover this because Stephen Strange does go back and he makes several attempts to live through that fateful night without Christine Palmer dying. And he goes through, I mean, tries to take the same route, but doesn't try to pull the same move uh, as far as trying to get around the truck. That doesn't uh, solve anything. Tries to take a different path. That doesn't solve anything. Tries to go and actually is able to somehow get her to the event, but she still passes away there. Takes her to another venue uh, to just go to a diner. She dies there. And when he finally decides, well, let me try and just stand her up on this, you know, date or this reunion that we're having or going to this event together. Uh, Let's pass on that and let's just leave her behind. Well, she still dies anyway. There's nothing that he can do to change it. In fact, we learn of her death on the time where he didn't show up to pick her up for the event. That is from Christine, another Christine in the MCU, Christine Everhart from Vanity Fair or WHIH, although it doesn't appear to be WHIH in this uh, news briefing as voiced by Leslie Bibb, who's played that character in live action. And uh, Dr. Strange is saying that he, I only want you. You're the only thing that matters. But he just can't hold on to Christine Palmer. No matter what he does, she is going to die that night. And as the Ancient One arrives and explains this, the Ancient One says that this is an absolute point in time. It's something that is unmovable. There's nothing he can do about it. And uh, the Ancient One also mentions that without Christine's death, Stephen Strange doesn't start the journey that allows him to become Dr. Strange, but he is not going to hear that. He is not going to stop what he's doing. And so the Ancient One confronts him. Stephen Strange goes back in time to escape. But before we catch up with him there, this was my other point that I was... And admittedly, this is like continuity nerd criticism of this, but it's tough for me to buy, I, I understand the whole idea is that it's an absolute point in time in this timeline. So what happened in other timelines isn't necessarily relevant to this or just flat out isn't at all relevant to this, but it's kind of hard for me to forget the idea that there is an entire timeline in which we know Stephen Strange became a master of the mystic arts without Christine Palmer dying. And then there's the whole changing the past doesn't change the future logic, that the Ancient One was part of explaining in Avengers Endgame. And that doesn't seem to be at play here because changing Christine Palmer dying that night shouldn't necessarily change the future of Stephen Strange still going on to become a master of the mystic arts. Although we have learned more since Avengers Endgame and based on all the resets we saw in Loki, it would seem that there are branching timelines and butterfly effects and stuff like that. So maybe the Avengers didn't totally have a firm grasp on it. Maybe even the ancient one doesn't totally have a firm grasp on it. So I can go ahead and and I can give it sort of a pass despite my, you know, continuity, my continuity nerd alarm kind of tripping in my head. Um, but it's, I-, I can roll with it, but it is a little bit messy.
1: Yeah. I-, I think for me, I agree with you on this one. This one, I just kind of chalked up with, okay, whatever it. But yeah, I'm with you. It's not the cleanest. It definitely, they had to bend some rules a little bit to get to this point. And yeah, it's, it's, there's a, there's a lot of minutia and there's so many rules. It's, and let's be real. It's hard to keep track of a Mm -hmm. lot of them. And I, but yeah, I wish it'd be a little bit tighter. I think in continuity in regards to that, but But yeah, it's, it's one of those things, right? It's kind of was like, okay, cool. Move on. But yeah, I, I, I don't fault you for being kind of like, ugh, come on, you know, they, they could have, maybe they could have gone a different direction with it. Like, you know, maybe give it a, I don't know, but I think the writers, obviously they really wanted to ride home. The fact that strange, like the Dormammu thing, where he he relived, relived dying for, you know, X amount of times he relived her death X amount of time. So Mm -hmm. they wanted to emphasize the idea of no matter what he did, he was going to fail. And I think to experience her death, to drive home that he's going down that dark path, which again, I like that stuff, but you had to bend a lot of rules to get there. And I totally agree with you on that one.
0: Yeah. So it was not ideal for me, but, This is where, if you're frustrated with me complaining about this otherwise awesome episode, don't worry, I'm pretty much done. Yeah, I will call back to some of the stuff a little bit, but from here forward, it got really good, and I was really enjoying this episode, and so Strange has traveled centuries back in time. He is looking for the Lost Books of Cagliostro because that's where he wants to get the knowledge of how to break uh, an absolute point in time, because apparently Cagliostro had figured that out, and so he's se- he is seeking that knowledge. Of course, Cagliostro, it's the book of Cagliostro that was all about the Time Stone and the, Ag- the Eye of Agamotto and everything that we saw in the first Doctor Strange movie. Anyway, so that's where we're tracking all that. Stephen Strange meets Obang, who is voiced by Ike Amadi. He is the librarian for the books of Cagliostro. In the comics, he is also Cagliostro, so I don't know if that is the impression that we're supposed to get here or... He's just supposed to be Obang. I don't really know. But either way, whether he is Cagliostro or he is just the librarian, he does have those lost books of Cagliostro. And so Stephen Strange does what he did at Camartage. He starts studying up, but he learns that he will need more power in order to break an absolute point in time. And that power is to be gained by absorbing other powerful mystical beings. And his first target is a giant tentacle monster that kind of looks like that champion of Hydra that we saw back in episode one for our connections on this series. And he fails, of course, in this first attempt. And he decides to go after some smaller game like a gnome, uh, which was kind of cool. But then um, eventually he goes after the tentacle monster. But as Stephen Strange is struggling to amass, uh, to just gather all of this power for himself, he is told by Obang that there is a fine line between devotion and delusion. Love can break more than your heart. It can shatter your mind. And it has certainly shattered the part of Stephen Strange's mind that would deal with things like morality and ethics because, yeah, he's just killing these things. And we don't really know anything about them other than they have a lot of power that he wants to absorb. But he is pretty much just murdering these things. And this is the point where, as I was watching the episode, and it sounds kind of weird to say, because Stephen Strange is doing this terrible thing, but I couldn't help but feel like, in my head, just thinking, now we're getting somewhere. And especially because of that line from Obang about the fine line between devotion and delusion, because it was really important in this episode to question the whole idea of, oh, this is because Stephen Strange got his heart broken by losing someone he loved. It's like, well, okay, but a lot of people lose people they love and they don't respond in quite this way or whatever the real world where there aren't masters of the mystic arts equivalent of that would be. And so I don't love how we got here, but this is where I'm ready to just roll with this. We're here now, and this is where the storytelling Gets good and and Strange really is deluding himself. I mean, he's murdering all yeah. these beings to try and bring back his love, but really, here's a question that he's not asking himself at all: Like, why do so many others need to die just for him to bring back one person? And her life isn't worth more than theirs in the grand scheme of things. Maybe worth more to him because he knows her and he loves her, but is she real? Is her life really that much more valuable to the universe, uh, to this reality? Than all these other beings that Stephen Strange is just killing uh, through absorption, probably not. Um, And there's really, obviously, there's nothing heroic about what Stephen Strange is doing. And and I think it's obvious that it's not heroic, but I think it really is that whole idea of shattering his mind, but also corrupting his soul, um, that you know that Stephen Strange is, is totally lost here, because he can say this is about bringing back Christine, but as we will eventually see, and even if she knew about this right here and now, it's not like she would approve. It. She would approve of any of this that she should be brought back at this cost,
1: right? And I think that to me is what what Doctor Strange is driven, and it's obviously when when you're a person of a doctor, or a surgeon, you know, people like that are usually again, I don't know every surgeon or doctor, but I've known a number of my days of working in the medical field. Um, They're driven people. They are workaholics. And, you know, that mindset we see in the film, Dr. Strange is driven to get his hands back. I mean, it's obviously by ego and pride are driving those things, but he's driven character. And, you know, we're given the idea that, you know, again, what, what the watcher says, he says, you know, replace, you know, the heart, you know, instead of his hands, he lost his heart. And so in that case, he's driven to get that back and he'll do whatever it takes to do it. And I think what's, what again, my point earlier, which I, I like the idea of like the, the whole Dormammu thing instead of, you know, he, he experiences that of, of dying himself and sacrifice. So he knows, he, you, know, you know, he's driven and will do what it takes to the right thing. But he's ex- now is ex- takes out on the other side where he's experienced a loved one dying hundreds of times or whatever. And you take that driven personality and you twist it, and, and they've been seeing their loved one die, and they can't prevent it, and they they blame themselves. You see it start to twist inside his head, and I love the idea, Sean, of how when that that creature comes in play, and he, you know he tries to like you know I need to borrow some of your power, like he he asks its permission, so he's almost he's teetering already, like hey. I mean, me he's not in,
0: really asking permission. I mean, he's, no, he's,
1: but you're, you're right. But what, but, again, the impression that I get when, when Stroke Ostroke or whatever walks over to him and says, you know, he doesn't share power. You got to take it. Yeah. And that's when he's like, okay, that's what I have to do. And that driven personality takes over. So you're right. He's not, I don't think he wants to necessarily just, you know, ask permission, but there's that impression of like, hey, like, I need your help. I need your power. So will you, you know, whatever. But he actually realizes, no, I have to get my hands dirty in order to get where I need to go. And to, that whole driven personality takes over and his guilt of seeing his loved one die all those times takes over. And I love that whole montage we get of that. So I, this was to me, i went, like, Oh God. Okay. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's getting, it's getting real. <laughs>
0: yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, Doctor Strange is, um, he, he is going down a very, very, very dark path, but at the same time, he is becoming more and more powerful, and that may have something to do with what Doctor Strange is able to hear, and whom he is able to hear during this uh, sequence, where we, hear, we see and hear the Watcher talking about and kind of debating with himself and and rationalizing, I guess, to us, the audience, the other Watchers in the room, but then also to himself internally, that he could stop this. He could try and warn this version of Stephen Strange, but what the Watcher is saying is that he can't risk the safety of all other universes to save this one. Plus, he doubts that Stephen Strange would even listen. Well... I don't know if if Stephen Strange would listen to the Watcher, but he hears the Watcher, and he actually calls out to the Watcher, you know, is someone there, and at this point, I wouldn't say I was completely shocked that this happened, but it was still a little bit of a mind-blowing moment that we got this in this series. Now, in Marvel Comics, people see the watcher they know uatu is there and they yes. usually know when uatu shows up oh shit this is trouble so that that's usually <laughs> kind of how it, i mean am i wrong so you're not wrong it, I, you're right it, it's that that's how it goes in the comic books but so far in the what if series we haven't really seen anyone be aware of the watcher's existence uh in quite so uh explicit of a way and so it was great to see it was awesome to see that. I, I got a huge kick out of that. I mean, of course, we get an even bigger interaction at the end of this episode, but just the start of it was so interesting. And and I think it it worked on a lot of different levels. I mean, I love that this puts the watcher. We already know the watcher as our guide through the multiverse. Like he is at the center of this. He is the connective tissue of this for us. But at the same it reaches another level when there is at least so far one character who can kind of reach out and see slash hear this person. And it makes the watcher not just an observer in the story, but more of an active participant as things carry forward. And so to have this acknowledged in this small way in this moment, and to then see it escalate so much by the end of this episode, was powerful in these moments in this episode, but also got me excited about where things might go with this series uh as we go through the you know latter half of we're not I don't think we're exactly halfway through yet but the latter half of uh, of this season of what if and and potentially you know other seasons to come but this was a great moment.
1: Yeah, this was I I think it shows you at this point and again the, I think the watcher from <clears throat> the comic books and this version Sean we and I t- touched on this a while ago I think they're kind of combining some things. I don't think in I, I'm I'm, go, I'm just going by from what I'm seeing on on the screen so far. I don't know if if the watcher is going to be visible to most people anymore. And again, I'm I'm not sure. I could be wrong, but the way they presented it so far it makes this whole point with strange that more powerful. Right. And and I think that it could they might make tone it back a little bit from the comic books, but so maybe more people will over time, but. I got the, I'm getting the impression that he's more of a mystical being than just an alien race, if that makes any sense. Um, I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't know if there could be eternity or not.
0: I don't think you're wrong. I I think we touched on this a, a little bit in one of our previous episodes that we were getting this hint that, I don't know, in the comic books, it never really played to me as the Watcher is like separate from a timeline in the way that can observe every single timeline throughout the multiverse. That's not really, I mean, and and maybe I'm just not remembering correctly or haven't read the right issues, which is totally possible, but I never really observed it or got quite that interpretation. It was like, well, within the 616 universe, there was, well, there were multiple Watchers, but the main one that we saw in stories over and over again was Uatu, and it was more about this one universe, which doesn't mean that the Watcher isn't powerful, but there's a difference between a being that sees all that's happening within a specific timeline in the multiverse and a being that is seeing every single timeline within the multiverse. So we are dealing with, I would say, a more powerful version of the Watcher in this series than than maybe we've had in the comic books. But also the fact that Stephen Strange is the only one to be able to see slash hear him speaks to the power level of this version of Doctor Strange. Also, he, like, beats the other Doctor Strange, like, one-on-one in, in a fight in this episode. But I would say this is an even bigger demonstration of that power, that he can be aware of a being that really presents himself as more of the passive observer, and, and not, he's present, but no one's supposed to know it, but he can't right. hide his presence from this version of Stephen Strange and how powerful he's become.
1: Yeah, if if this watcher feels more omnipresent, mm-hmm. and I th- I think that to me what makes him even more interesting in the comic book version, and I love Yuato in in the comic books. I mean, he's so he's so uh known in the six sixteen universe in the comic books that like Dan Slott named a character after him, and they their, their parents named their, their their kid this character Yuatu, uh, after him. But, you know, because they know him. It, yeah, it's his name. It's literally after, you know, the Watcher. So he's definitely unknown entity in the in the 616 universe. I like this idea that if they are going, like, combining the Watcher with Eternity or something along those lines, and he's more of an omnipresent, like, kind of a godlike character, there is something very fascinating and interesting about that. And I love the idea that this Doctor Strange's power level is so powerful that he's, he's, he's now on that register, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's almost that that celestial, you know, type level. And I thought that was really fascinating and that he heard him. I'm like, oh, God, like, that's the first time we've got, a, you know, interaction with that. So, which we get, we get, it gets paid off, obviously, later on. So, I was like, okay, like, you've got, you're getting my attention even more here. Like, I'm into this. So, I love the fact that, you know, he hears the watcher there. I think that's so rad.
0: Yeah, it also reminded me of a moment with, uh, from the second season of Fleabag for fans of that show, uh, a moment with the priest. And I won't say anything more about what that happens. I think if you know the show, then you probably know what I'm talking about. Uh, If not, watch Fleabag. It's great. And then you will figure out what I'm talking about for episode two. But that moment, it kind of felt like that for me, of, of a character acknowledging a presence that we had no idea that that character would have had any sort of awareness of whatsoever, and then uh, as Doctor Strange, and we'll have to start calling him Doctor Strange Supreme, because that's what he's called on Funko Pops and whatever else, and I need the distinction, because we're going to have two Stranges here in a moment, and Obang is the one who tells uh, Doctor Strange Supreme about this, He's been at it for centuries, he hasn't realized how much time has elapsed, but Obang is uh, has been around for these centuries as well, but he is ready to pass on uh, to whatever is next, and he sets up, I, I don't know if he means to, but I mean, he pretty much lays it out there for uh, Strange Supreme that uh, that there's another version, he's only half of himself, he's only half of a person right now, because the other one, uh, the other Doctor Strange is, is still around, now that we've caught up from going back in, uh, in the past for centuries, now we've caught up to the present day or almost present day when this whole, start, this whole story began. And in this timeline, we've looped all the way back through it, but in this timeline, Strange decides to hang out with Wong rather than go back in time to try and save Christine Palmer. So here's Stephen Strange making a different choice and it was the Ancient One who set that whole thing up by splitting reality when when Doctor Strange Supreme escaped to go back in time, and the Ancient One warns regular Doctor Strange uh, that he's the one who's causing it, or at least this other version of himself when they were split in two, and he is trying to figure out what's going on. He knows that another version of himself is coming and is probably going to do him some harm, And so he's talking about it with Wong as Wong is melting away. This reality is melting away and Wong gives him a heavy duty uh, protection spell from the great Vashanti. So by the book of the Vashanti and all the stuff that we hear or read in Doctor Strange uh, dialogue bubbles, which is always so much fun uh, reading that stuff. So it was great hearing Wong say something like that. And then we get our battle of Strange versus Strange Supreme, And, of course, the supreme one needs to absorb the other one, and it's the other one, regular, happy, good Dr. Strange. I don't know about happy, but good, well-meaning Dr. Strange says, this is arrogance. This is our need to fix everything. And I loved that line so much, and I wish there was more attention paid to this, you could say this line already covers it, you don't need to do anything more, and that's totally fair, but this is where I consider the, you know, kind of emotional heft of the episode, the meat of the episode thematically for Stephen Strange is getting past this idea that it's about love, that there is some internal need within him individually, that even if it wasn't the death of Christine Palmer, maybe it's something else, but Stephen Strange having this obsessive need to fix things, and maybe not not always fix things for the right reason, maybe fix things for more selfish reasons. I know he still went through the adventure where he probably learned it's not about you from the Ancient One, but it doesn't mean that lesson always takes. It doesn't mean it gets applied to everything that Strange does, which I think we'll see in, like, the sacred timeline with the Doctor Strange that we already know from that first film, but another cool part about this is they get into the actual battle is once again, Paul, we are reminded of Tremors uh, in this. Where, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Dr. Strange Supreme unleashes his little underground like worm things that go after the regular Dr. Strange. And as soon as I saw that, I just started busting up laughing because I was like, oh, here we go again. Um, I'm going to have another excuse. Not that anyone ever needs an excuse to bring up Tremors, but, but yeah. here we are again. So I, I couldn't help but get a kick out of that. And then also seeing a not just a battle between... Doctor Strange's but a battle between cloaks of levitation uh, was pretty great and then seeing the Supreme One destroy uh, regular Doctor Strange's cloak of levitation and uh, the way this whole thing played out like the where it looked like Supreme Strange was uh, destroyed and then there's just this glowing light and then he's a shadow that snatches up the other one and puts him in this dream where he's embracing Christine Palmer he knows it's not real and he rejects it. But he still just finds himself in the same fight with Doctor Strange Supreme, who wins that battle and absorbs the Doctor Strange, who wasn't murdering all these other uh, mystical (laughs) beings. But the Strange versus Strange battle, um, I I thought, was uh, was definitely a highlight of this episode. I mean, visually, it was thrilling, um, but also sometimes the best person to call you out for what you're, you're doing is you. And uh, right. we did get that with the whole "this is arrogance, this is our need to fix everything" line.
1: Yeah, and I, I think this is where I just I love getting what if stories because we're getting these different alt, you know, alternate versions of characters, and. Again, they're different personalities, but they're also the same. There's still there's there's a little bit quirkier or a little bit different or you just one little thing sets them off a different path, as, you know, while of the show so much and how it, that can that whole butterfly butterfly effect can uh, just lead them down a, a completely different idea and they're just, a, you know, an evil person and how it brings up this different side of them. And I don't, I have to ask you a question. Is, is are you calling them Supreme uh, Strange Supreme or is that the, uh, your thing or is that something they actually called the character?
0: In, I don't think they call them that in story, but they, like the Marvel Legends figure is called Dr. Strange Supreme. The Funko Pop is called ah. Dr. Strange Supreme. And I, I think really, The idea here is that this is a Sorcerer Supreme version of Doctor Strange, which we have not had in the Sacred Timeline. We still have not had Stephen Strange be mentioned, acknowledged, promoted to the rank of Sorcerer Supreme. He has still only been known as a Master of the Mystic Arts. I say only like that's some small thing. It's obviously incredible, but we know what the top ranking is amongst the Masters of the Mystic Arts, and we haven't seen Strange... Uh, do that. I mean, the last time he even referred to his rank was on Titan in the battle with Thanos in Avengers: Infinity War, and he just and he referred to himself as a master of the mystic arts. We haven't heard him uh, refer to himself or heard anyone else refer to him as the Sorcerer Supreme. This version of Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange Supreme, doesn't need anyone else to call him the Sorcerer the Sorcerer Supreme. He obviously is. Based on the power level that we see him gain throughout this story,
1: that yeah, and so I I, I name uh, Strange Sup- uh, Strange Supreme. I think it's kind of a cool name. So yeah, I I really like this idea of this evil Doctor Strange. We get this, we get to see again what I was missing from the show or the show, the movie. So much was seeing Doctor Strange in his element, going you know going ham, and we got to see that in this episode. And it was great. And I don't know. I loved, and I kind of loved seeing the bad guy win. And we haven't really seen that in What If so far. I, I, you see it in the comics all the time, but this was the first time you get to see the bad guy actually overcome the good guy. Yeah. And we get to see on. You know, we'll get to it here in a second. But I love the idea that you know, in this universe this is not the, no, this is not going to end the way you think it's going to. Mm -hmm. And I think this is what I think this kind of brought, I think a lot of the mainstream audience a little bit of, Oh, so, you know, a a reminder that not every timeline in multiverse is going to be a good one. And so it was a good reminder of that. This is what happens. And by the way, Sean, and again, quick question. Uh, do has the mcu or marvel studios are they called it the sacred timeline or is that still us
0: no that it was called the sacred timeline well there was a sacred timeline in loki and it seemed to coincide with everything we had seen in the mcu and i think you have the visual and the you know auditory cue in at the beginning of episode six of loki the finale where like you hear everything that's happened in the MCU, and right. there is this one timeline, the sacred timeline, or really what I think and what you and I both kind of... The conclusion that we reached, not that we're the only ones who ultimately right. interpreted things this way, but the sacred timeline was multiple timelines, but it was multiple timelines that were still enough in sync with one another that right. it, it didn't interfere with what he who remains... Ulti- it's it still everything unfolded in the way that still allows he who remains to be at the end of the, the, you know, to be at the end of time and and having won and and is managing all of the stuff and being able to do his resets through the TVA and everything like that. So we've just kind of taken that as there is the, we've known that there was kind of one timeline that we've been dealing with in the MCU and it didn't really have an official name. So I think a lot of us have just taken the idea of the yes. sacred timeline, like, well, it syncs up with what we've seen in the MCU. So that's what it is. It's the sacred timeline, although I love that. Can we still call it the sacred timeline when it's not the only one anymore? And, and maybe the person who defines it as the sacred timeline is dead. Yeah. With he who remains. I don't know. I'll just stick with it because it's the only name I have.
1: I love it. I, I just want to say I love calling it the sacred timeline. I do think, however, the watcher, I think he'll have something. I would not be shocked if he said the sacred timeline at some point. Like, I would not be shocked. Because this is, I'll get to that in a second. That
0: would make continue. me wonder if he's another version of Kang. Like that would get me put me in Kang variant oh territory, which I oh I don't want to go to. I don't. No, I Don't no, want not, every. I, I don't like want that. every character to be Kang.
1: No, no, not not like that. Not. I'll get to my point in a minute. But but we'll we'll get there in a second. We're almost. Uh, there. I'll bear let's, with continue. you. Continue. All right. Just, yeah. Let's continue.
0: Well, I think that as far as where things are at with this and like these timelines ending badly, like I think that's a good point that you make that. You get to show that, yeah, things end badly. I mean, we saw that to an extent, or not just to an extent, we saw that quite a bit last week. I mean, we saw a timeline where the Avengers were taken out before they ever assembled for the first time. And and so we know that there are these other timelines where bad things can happen, but as dark as that was, it still kind of ends on the more hopeful note that Nick Fury just goes back to work to put together a new team. Uh, it doesn't, like, undo the tragedy of all these characters having died, and, and Loki has successfully taken over Earth, but we still kind of end on that thing of, yes, we've lost today, we've lost badly today, but Nick Fury hasn't given up, and therefore we haven't either, and we're in this in pursuit of something better, and and still going to fight for it, and Nick Fury is going to find new champions to fight for that cause. That's not really how this one ends., uh, this one does not end on a hopeful note. and strange Supreme, like he does he wins the battle with himself, but he ultimately loses because just as he thought he was getting everything that he wanted, like he is able to bring back Christine Palmer. but it's a devil's bargain sort of thing, like because he's almost starting to look like a literal devil as he does in in one shot earlier in this episode. And now he's looking grotesque. He's looking like a monster. So when Christine sees him, she's terrified. And I love that physical manifestation to make it immediate that we don't necessarily have to wait for Christine Palmer to catch up to all of the terrible things that Stephen Strange has done, that it manifests physically, that he becomes scary in this appearance so that she would just immediately be terrified of what he has become and him being unrecognizable to her because... It's not just about the physical part of it. Morally and ethically, he would be unrecognizable to her. So having a physical manifestation of that, uh, I thought worked really well. And we're also seeing all of this reality collapsing on itself. And Strange Supreme, I kind of sound like I'm ordering at Taco Bell when I keep saying Strange Supreme, but I'll get past it. So uh, he's begging the Watcher to fix it. And he's saying that the world shouldn't pay for his arrogance. It's a valid point, but uh, in Stephen Strange is saying, you're a god, you gotta help, and the Watcher responds, I'm not a god, and neither are you. Honestly, if I could fix this, if I could punish you instead, I would, but I can't interfere. You, more than anyone else, should understand that meddling with time and events only leads to more destruction. And so this reality collapses on itself. Doctor Strange Supreme has been able to shelter himself at the very center of it with Christine, but she still melts away. So he is left all alone. He's alive, but he is all alone. He is the last person left in his own reality in this universe. And the Watcher finishes up this cautionary tale by saying, one life, one choice, one moment can destroy the entire universe and who we this got dark i thought this was so emotionally engaging and intense and this part of the episode i absolutely loved and yes. jeffrey wright as our voice actor for the watcher he's been great as our narrator our guide through this vast multiverse But when he becomes an active character in this and having this conversation with Doctor Strange Supreme, even better. And this really creates all sorts of interesting questions like, will this version of uh, Doctor Strange is still alive? So is he going to learn from this or is he just going to want revenge against the Watcher for refusing to save him or refusing to save his universe and just punish him instead? That will be an interesting question if slash when. We see Doctor Strange Supreme again. And also, sometimes the choice to not interfere is still interfering in in a way. I mean, I I think, I I don't know if the Watcher, clearly the Watcher struggles with this himself. um, But I, I think we will see maybe Doctor Strange Supreme struggle with this. Maybe other characters as well with this question of whether or not the Watcher's passive observation, whether or not that will have consequences when someone knows that he won't interfere To save anyone it's okay to be a passive observer when no one knows you're there but when people know that you are there and you do you must have some power and you're choosing not to use it then at what point do they start to feel that you have some responsibility for the things that in their mind you allow to happen and maybe you kind of do uh so should the universe have really and then other questions should the universe have really paid for strange's mistake I mean, it's a big punishment uh, for Strange to have to live with the consequences of his choice, but still, like, why does anyone else need to suffer? Um, And also, has the Watcher interfered before? Because when he says, you know, you more than anyone else should understand that meddling with time and events only leads to more destruction, is this a lesson the Watcher has already learned from experience? So there were all kinds of questions that were running through my mind after the final moments of this episode. Um, but more than anything else, just what was happening there in the moment between Strange and The Watcher, I thought was outstanding.
1: That was by far the best thing out of the series so far out of its infancy. It's that was hearing Jeffrey Wright and Benedict Cumberbatch, even in animation, such great actors, just such great voices. Let's be honest, Jeffrey Wright's voice is just so perfect for The Watcher. And hearing Benedict Cumberbatch as, you know, a desperate Doctor Strange, oh man, it was that, that was to me what this cemented this episode of just being an incredible episode because you built up to this point where the Watcher seeing this, you, you know, he hears the Watcher and then when everything is coming around him, it is collapsing and the Watcher tells him, I cannot interfere. I will not. And if he could, he wouldn't. You know, Mm -hmm. because of what he did. It's like, dang, man. Oh, man. The Watcher, he's rough. And I love that. And I think it does a lot of different things. You're setting up the fact, I think for me, the Watcher mostly right there. Because you're, I, and we've talked about this before. I do think the Watcher is going to have a big role in not just the, the animation show, but I think in the MCU, the Sacred Timeline. I do think he's going to play a pivotal part in helping defeat Kang, defeating everything. They're setting all this up because I think with, with the watcher and again, I'm just kind of going off what they're giving me visually that if he, you know, I don't think he's going to help them out or help the fantastic four out, take on Galactus necessarily. I don't think that's going to be it here. And um, that's what he's introduced obviously in the comic books. But I, what I do think what they're setting up here is, He's going to help out the Avengers and help out and know like he can't have Kang run amok and just go crazy. And I think, you know, he's going to bend the rules in the comic books. He always bends the rules just a little bit. He doesn't necessarily interfere, but he helps people out, meaning he can go this way. I can show you how to do this, but I can't physically interfere and help you. Mm-hmm. and there's going to be contradictions there. And in, in obviously it, people are going to say, well, we can't interfere. What is it? You know, it's going it's, to, it's all over the watcher in the comic books. It's fine. I, I, I'm not going to, It kind of makes the character more compelling to be honest. Cause like he'll bend the rules when he, when he needs to, because there is compassion there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, what's important in this scene, Sean, is that he has to show the audience. Yeah. You know what? This guy's a piece of, you know what? And I'm not going to help you. because right. You're evil. And I'm not going to help you. And I think that to me was important. You're setting up the fact that you can hear the watcher when he, you know, depending on who you are and what, whatever. And when, when he chooses that path or he chooses to, and when he does, it means it, it, it is important. And when he does interfere or not interfere, but when he does choose to help in some way, It's, it's a big deal. Like you said earlier, when he shows up, it's a big deal. It means big stuff's going to happen. So I think all those things mean something. And I love the fact that we're showing the mainstream audience who are, are definitely watching the show and, and people are definitely connecting to it. I mean, at least on social media, I'm not sure the numbers it's doing. I mean, we don't know any of the numbers these things are doing, but yeah, we have no idea. Right, right. But at least from a social media aspect, I can see a lot of people are connecting to the show and that's good. So even if it's not getting like monster numbers, it's definitely resonating with people. I think it's important. So at least what, what the MCU is, you know, resonating with this, with the, with the audience that's trying to connect to the watch is a big deal and it's getting the job done. And I love that it's doing that. And I love I just want more Jeffrey Wright. I want more Jeffrey Wright in every episode. I want Jeffrey Wright in Loki next season. I want Jeffrey Wright in, you know, Ant-Man and Wasp. I want him showing up, man. So I want him to say, I do think, in my my prediction is right now, I think he's going to try to preserve his sacred timeline to an extent knowing that, like, this timeline is what is the backbone of all the timelines. And if we don't preserve this one, everything's going to go haywire. And I think that's how there's going to be some how he's going to be involved in with that. So that's where I'm going with it. And this scene only cements it. I just love seeing him tell him, Nope, you're a POS, uh, you know, and you're at, I'm out of here. And I love him telling him that. So I love the scene.
0: I think there are a few things that will happen with the watcher or one big thing that I, I think will happen is I do think he will interfere I think it will happen this season. There are, I think there's supposed to be nine episodes of What If in this first season. And so we're four episodes in. We're half an episode away from reaching the midpoint. So we've heard The Watcher mention this point a few times already. I cannot interfere. And here we are at just about the midpoint of the season. And we're getting the most emphatic demonstration of it. And one of the tendencies of now, here's a situation where you would say, if there was ever a time when you should interfere, this is it. An entire universe is collapsing on itself because of the choice of one person. So this is the time to do it. And the Watcher doesn't. But I think the whole reason why you have a rule and you reaffirm that rule in such a big, emphatic way is because you intend to break it eventually. And you could exactly. certainly make the point that you save that for a live action film. And I wouldn't disagree with that point. I would just also throw out the other observation that so far the tendency for Marvel Studios lately is to move through this stuff quickly. And you know when they tease something, they pay it off. And it doesn't mean by mm-hmm. the way that like the watchers done, just because the watcher would interfere with something this season. Doesn't mean like it totally makes his rule, it renders his rule meaningless and all of those things. You see what happens as a result of the rule breaking, and then you deal with that, and you, of course, tell new stories from that point. So that's something that I I kind of feel like maybe is in the works this season, but, you know, maybe not. Who, Who knows? But what I like about The Watcher's choice here to not interfere is... Think of The Watcher as seeing all of these timelines, because I don't even know really if it's about preserving the sacred timeline, because this isn't the sacred timeline. I feel like The Watcher takes a different point of view on this, that The Watcher views all timelines as sacred. It doesn't matter if it's the one where the Avengers Mm -hmm. win. It doesn't matter if it's one of the 14,604, because the 14,605th one is the one that they won. It doesn't matter in the other fourteen million six hundred four that they lose to Thanos, and the universe gets wiped out, whether it's half or all, depending at what point the final defeat uh, happens for the Avengers and and Thanos. So I I feel like it's almost treating everything as sacred, except that no one is more important than any of the other, which is really the lesson that Doctor Strange suffered from because he hadn't learned it or he didn't think about it yeah. in this perspective, right? He right. says, the Watcher says that he can't compromise, he can't risk the safety of all universes to save one. Well, that's exactly what Dr. Strange is doing within the the context of his mind, right? Because he's not talking about different universes and stuff like that. But what he is willing to do is sacrifice or risk every single life within his universe just to save One person. And that one person, by the way, is already doomed, is already gone. And so the Watcher is kind of taking the advice that he didn't believe Strange would ever listen to. And look, the Watcher's right about that. Like, Stephen Strange did get that advice from other people and didn't stop. So I don't think if the Watcher says something earlier that Dr. Strange Supreme stops what he's doing and decides to give up this pursuit of of resurrecting Christine Palmer and just goes on and becomes a a good, noble master of the mystic arts. I I don't think that happens no matter what. So I I think that for the Watcher to kind of live by and ultimately make the same ethical choice that he was hoping uh, Doctor Strange Supreme would make this entire time, uh, I, I think that really it's such a crazy, heightened reality, morally complex version of of looking at it, but he was practicing what he was preaching, in that you don't risk all, uh, necessarily, to save one, especially if that one um, is already gone, and that was kind of what was already supposed to happen, um, which, then again, you know, that that's a question, by the way, that has, it's a, It almost sounds like a a criticism to say, well, the MCU's already been over this territory, but this feels like a new, fresh examination of it from a completely different perspective to go into the whole idea of, you know, the we don't trade lives, captain, or we don't trade lives, vision type of stuff that they were talking about in Avengers Infinity War. This is a new application of that question with an entire multiverse of complexity added to it that I thought was really rich and and certainly something that can be uh, built upon and you know, the trailers show that Doctor Strange Supreme is going to show up again, but you don't need that. You just look at the end of this episode, and you see him there all alone, um, and what happened in that confrontation with the Watcher that you just know that we are going to circle back to that moment. How things unfold, when we, get, and when we circle back, I have no idea, but what we got uh, right here in this episode didn't start off great for me, as, as I said, and I stand by what I believe are flaws at the beginning of the episode, but... Their flaws, I can ultimately forgive as I've forgiven others. I mean, they're they're there, but they don't override my positive impression of the episode because everything else from there was so, so good, um, especially uh, the end of this episode, which was uh, so, so intense, so dark, but so, so good.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I think this this episode is a great example of what you can do. And even though, again, I, I, even with the compression, you know, compressing a massive story in, in 30 minutes, I, I, that a couple of flaws aside, Sean, I think it's still really well done how they're able to get a really great story out of this. Um, you know, of all the whole season, to be honest, I've been really impressed with what they're able to do and nothing feel, I mean, nothing feels like they're putting way too much in one thing. Maybe the, the, um, the Avengers all dying episode, it was a little bit like that. I thought they'd put a lot in that one spot or one episode, but even then, I thought they it was flowed out and it was told in a, a really well, you know really well done for the most part. And mm-hmm. so this episode is 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 more of the same of like just they're able to do so much in thirty minutes than I thought than Dr. Strange could do in two hours in that movie. And again, I'm, I I just I, I love Dr. Strange so much, the character. Just, that movie just disappoints me every time I watch it. I'm like, ah. there's parts that I like here or there, but not, oh man. And I just love Doctor Strange and Infinity War. So it's really great to get, a, I think, a more accurate representation of the characters, what I like about the character and his world. So it, it was great to see that. And again, this, what if has been really impressed me of what it's able to do? And I think the animation... It's definitely stylized. I know a lot of people have issues with it. I've seen some people say it looks cheap, and other people it looks like amazing, and how it looks like it's top of the line animation. I think it's super funny how people's person, you know, perceptions of what's good and, and what looks cheap and what doesn't is so radically different. Beauty I'm is in the being, eye of
0: the beholder. That's all absolutely,
1: it is. absolutely. It's just funny, right? I'm in the middle somewhere. I don't think it's top of the line, maybe necessarily, but I I'm to be honest though, Sean. I've grown to love it more and more every episode to the point now where I'm like, I, I think it's great. I think the animation looks fantastic. And I think like Clone Wars with Star Wars, I'm starting to think that the animation and the storytelling in this in, in, by episode four right now, I'm starting to see a shift where I'm starting to see it flow a lot better. I'm starting to kind of see the... It, they're kind of seeing the strengths and kind of, you know, their weaknesses as far as what kind of stories they can tell already in the four episodes. Like it's already gotten better. I think structurally wise and just the flow of the animation mm-hmm. already is improved by this fourth episode. It was a little rocky here or there in the first couple episodes, but this one really stuck out to me. Like, Oh man, the animation is a lot better. Like, or this flows a lot better. Maybe it's a renderings kind of down more. I don't know. But it, to me, just came across as a much more better-produced animated animated uh, episode. And I thought, I can't wait to see how it looks later on.
0: I think the more recent episodes, but I think, I mean, more recent, there's four of them. But right. I look at episodes like the second one, T'Challa's Star-Lord, and this one, where you really get to take advantage of what the medium of animation gives you in stuff like this that's more cosmic or mystical with the whole Doctor Strange stuff and all the sorcery and magic and all that fun stuff that, that, I mean, that's, a look, we have plenty of CG to give us that in live action, but there's something about it that really lends itself to animation versus maybe things that are told, I mean, there's still a ton of CG in the more grounded MCU movies, but it's not quite, the, the leap is maybe not quite the same or or whatever it is, but either way, I don't know. I've loved the animation from the first episode. I do agree with you, though, that as it's gone on, it takes something that I already liked and I was already a fan of, and it just seems to be getting better, and that just makes sense to me, right? I mean, this was a a brand new thing that they were doing for this show, and, you know, as you do it more and more, like, you should get better at it. The process should improve, uh, and the end result is in the episodes that we see as an audience should get better and better. So I think it's taken something that was already really great and it just improves upon itself uh, week after week. And I think it's just just the natural flow of things for things to get better as as time goes on. But the storytelling, the animation, yeah, I I have some things that I've called out kind of here and there within some of the episodes. But overall, I think the storytelling has been great. I think the animation is doing a great job of showcasing these stories. And this one, I mean, really packed a punch uh, with that ending. And, you know, you mentioned the social media reaction. I mean, the reaction to this episode, especially the end of this episode, uh, I think said a lot, at least in what I saw in my timeline, that people were really affected by this story. And I'm affected in the way that the story was kind of meant to affect people uh, emotionally and and telling the story where despite the most positive intentions or the intentions that you can trick yourself into thinking are noble, that ultimately it's your actions that are going to speak to uh, the morality of of your choices. So, um, And we see that obviously Stephen Strange went down the wrong path, and in this heightened reality with this multiverse, there were consequences that were truly dire, and uh, everything just collapsed on itself. And, and we will see if slash how slash when Dr. Strange Supreme is able to come back from this moment, and if so, how he responds, and maybe uh, what uh, to what extent he holds the Watcher responsible, uh, whether that's the wa- seeing the Watcher as an enemy that he needs to get revenge on, and maybe somebody that the other Avengers need to stop uh, for Dr. Strange Supreme, not that they would need to stop the Watcher, uh, but then also if he sees the Watcher as having taught him an important lesson, granted a very expensive lesson, but that the expense was the result of Strange's actions. But I'm very fascinated by that question of how Doctor Strange Supreme will respond to this. Will he see the Watcher as having ultimately helped and and made the right choice for the sake of the entire multiverse? Or if Doctor Strange Supreme takes this personally um, and goes even farther down, uh, goes even further down this dark path that we saw him begin on in this episode, but uh, yeah, really, really great ending to this, and that is where we will end this edition of the MCU Fan Show, our spoiler review of What If? Episode 4. Hopefully, you enjoyed this podcast. If not, we'll try harder next time, Uh, and make sure you are following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Remember, for access to Fan Show Plus, where I'll be talking about some Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings box office, you can search for MCU Fan Show on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to the channel so you'll get that Fanshow Plus podcast series. There is an episode that's already available for free from Fanshow Plus. That is our Spider-Man No Way Home trailer breakdown. You can also get premium episodes, Fanshow Plus, over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. Paul, where can everybody find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Herman22at2Ns, aka Pthug. Also follow me, uh, my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. Please follow me. Subscribe there. Appreciate everyone who's already done that. And um, also follow The saga Continues on Twitter and the podcast. Well, we're talking about Star Wars.
0: And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We will be speaking with you again very soon with a spoiler review for a movie called Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Until then, take care.